Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 123. This week, we talk with David Katui about the UWP Community Toolkit, Linux on an 8-bit computer emulating 32 bits, TypeScript 2.0, and this show is late because Jason was riding his boosted board. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week, we have David Katui, Principal Program Manager at Microsoft, creator of the podcasting app called Cast, creator of Babylon JS, and he's a huge fan of Magic the Gathering. How's it going, David? I'm doing perfectly well. Hi, guys. <laughs> your uh, your resume here is extremely impressive. I mean, thanks. It 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 only took me a few seconds to say, but I mean, these are like major accomplishments. Shipping uh, some fairly big products, so uh, really cool stuff. I think we'll I think we'll end up having you back to talk about some of these products. Sure. It's really cool stuff. I will be honored. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Carl. Uh, I don't even know what these notes mean. Video killed the radio <laughs> star. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, for for a long time, you know, I think it's been uh, two years now that we redesigned our website and we kind of put some emphasis on getting the audio up there. And in the meantime, we've done video and we've heard a lot of people saying, you know, it's hard to get to the video. Yes. So we've made that a whole lot easier when we have uh, the video released. Um, it takes a little bit longer than the audio um, to get that all set up. But once we have that, we'll actually switch over from showing you the audio player to now having the video player. in. we've done a little bit of work on the site just to make that look a little bit better as well. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, are interested in the video, you can come check it out directly at the site without having to go to channel nine or YouTube. Yeah. It only took like four comments before we realized, you know what? People don't know how to get to our video <laughs> unless they're subscribing at all those different places. So, uh, yeah, so it's getting better. Yeah. And earlier this morning, uh, also we had a discussion between me and you, mm-hmm. uh, we don't really, we're, we're not really huge on Facebook, uh, in me and Jason personally, mm-hmm. that is, uh, and we have the Facebook page and we're wondering, uh, do you as users really find, uh, f- our Facebook page useful? Do you want us to do more there? Um, uh, we're not just going to kill it if people find it useful, but if it's not useful to people, we don't really want to keep doing it. Yep. We're hoping and the answer is no. It, <laughs> or, you know, it really is useful to you and yeah. you have ways to uh, help make us make it better. So mm-hmm. if you like Facebook and uh, want us to do more with it, let us know t- as well. Okay. That sounds great. All right, this this week's Infragistics Ultimate Winner of the Week came from a feedback item on the last episode about refactoring with Katrina Owen. Uh, it was off of our website. Jared Gray wrote to us saying, I love listening to your podcast. It's always full of quality content. All jazzed up to go to refactor some code now. I began formatting expressions as Yoda conditions, which I never knew it had a name until now, after the first build I broke from a failing unit test at one of my early jobs because of a missing equal sign. It was mortifying. The next day, one of his coworkers sat him down and explained him how to get around this by doing those Yoda conditions. And now uh, he does that, and the compiler lets you know if you've made a mistake, although he doesn't think he's missed an operator since anyways. Uh, and thanks for all your hard work. Well, thank you, Jared. And for this awesome piece of feedback, mm-hmm. you win the Infragistics Ultimate License this week. 
And if you would like to get mentioned on the show like Jared and potentially win this license, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Perfect. Yeah, that that was uh, that was great feedback because, yeah, I, I mean, I just didn't realize there was like a whole group of developers out there doing that, and they actually had a really good reason for doing it. Um, so, you know, if people, if people didn't listen to the last episode, I guess go do that. But, you know, if anybody's wondering what we're referring to there, it's whenever you say like, if false equals, which looks really, really, really strange if you haven't seen it before, but it, uh, it helps guard against missing an equal sign. So anyway, let's jump into the news. Uh, so we only have a couple short items here. So the first one, Linux on an eight bit microcontroller. I I love these little hardware projects Mm -hmm. that people do. And what this is, is somebody took this micro arm controller. I mean, it's really small 8-bit microcontroller, uh, really meant for just directly coding what you need. And he modified uh, both uh, it and uh, Linux to be able to run on it. That's crazy. And uh, so, to get, I mean, to get an idea of really like how fast this thing is, he says just to boot up to a bash prompt takes about two hours <laughs> and then so, so four, useful <laughs> so four more hours will boot into ubuntu so this is and about the same said, speed just to give an idea of scale it's about the same speed as a mac mini without an ssd <laughs> <laughs> oh. and then he says starting x which is the windowing environment takes a lot longer yet yeah he says it has an affected emulated cpu speed at about <laughs> six and a half kilohertz yeah so he's a, so, so he's using an 8-bit processor to emulate a 32-bit CPU and MMU. <laughs> that is that is just crazy. Yeah, so this is kind of a crazy project, but I just always go nuts over stuff like this. Uh they're really cool to see where some people's passion leads them. Yeah, you have to be really smart to do this because if you make a mistake, I mean, waiting 4 hours to know that you made a mistake <laughs> is pretty terrible. <laughs> Being you know, change your code, wait 4 hours. So uh, I commend him for sticking with it. The secret lab where Nike invented the power lacing shoe of our dreams. Have you ordered yours, Carl? No. (laughs) And uh, so people who wonder what we're talking about on Back to the Future 2, one of the things they had like a lot of visual gags on there. Mm -hmm. But one of them was like he put on the shoes and they just like tied themselves. Well, Nike apparently has been working for quite a long time to actually make this. And not only that, but it will be available this holiday season to buy. I didn't see anywhere on here how much it costs, but they do have quite a few videos uh, showing them in action and how they work. Uh, I even find it cool that they use inductive charging. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, because you'd hate to have like a USB port. (laughs) Yeah, so when you charge these, they'll last for about two weeks. They'll tie your shoes for about two weeks. (laughs) And I just think this is really cool. So, and to be clear, like it's not actually tying your shoe. Like there's laces on there and it kind of like sucks them in. Right. I mean, just like it did. Yeah, There's, there's kind of like fly wires. Yeah. So it's just cinching the, you know, the laces tight with these wires. Yeah. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> these well, have I'm to assuming be... they don't have enough power to like slice through your foot. So oh, these have to cost a fortune, man, man. The last gimmick that seen... I bought from Nike so... was that was the, the pumps and, uh, so... my... what was that? Those were Reebok. The Reebok pump. Oh, really? No. Th- oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. There. And then, and then it was like Adidas, like ripped it off and had a different name. You're right. You're right. But those were like over a hundred dollars in like nineteen ninety dollars, which is like thousands now, probably. I don't know. Uh, not good at math. Uh, the MIT license line by line, one hundred and seventy one words. Every programmer should understand. Really? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I you know I think this is uh, super important because. Um, 
this is a, a license that a lot of us use. I know uh, me and you, we've uh, released uh, code under this license before. And uh, it, it, sometimes we don't always understand exactly what every little piece is. Right. And this isn't a very long license, um, but uh, this blog post kind of goes into not only what does each little section mean, but kind of the history and why it's important that it means what it means. Yeah. That's more useful and, than anything. Like the actual, yeah. Examples, like here's what happened and here's why this got added. Very cool. Okay. So I should read this then is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> so are we going to have a corresponding one for like Apache two and some of the other licenses? That'd be pretty handy. Well, I, I don't know, but you know, like this is out there and th- what I didn't realize is how old this license was. It went back to the early seventies. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that either. Uh, okay. TypeScript 2.0. So this just happened, uh, yesterday actually. So this is very cool. Cause I didn't, um, I sort of lost track. Like I've been using TypeScript, but you know, I haven't been too concerned with versions as of, as of late. Um, so what's new is really the big thing here. So one, it's funny. I was, I was just talking to somebody yesterday. We were, um, um, we were using TypeScript and he's like, oh, you know, this is kind of a, a hassle. Like I have these extra things that I have to worry about because JavaScript just lets you do whatever you want and you can, you know, basically everything turns into a runtime issue, whereas TypeScript tries to make it um, static. So you at, at essentially at compile time or at generate time is whenever it catches the issues. And one of the one of the things that he was really complaining about was. Um, how you reference external libraries. So you bring in something. We were bringing in uh, Restify, uh, which I hadn't used before, but it's very cool. So you bring in Restify and it complains because it says, hey, I don't I don't know. You need type definitions. I need to know how to talk to this thing. And you can you can safely ignore it um, and you get zero IntelliSense. But ideally, you want to bring those types in. And he was complaining about how complex it was. Uh, so what they did was they actually made it so you can do npm install dash s um, at sign types slash and then the name of the package you're bringing in. Uh, you kind of have to look at it. So, you know, obviously we'll have a link to this in the show notes, uh, but that's pretty significant. It makes it really easy to bring in those external types. So whenever you um, uh, whenever you're using one of those external libraries, you can bring that in and you'll get full IntelliSense with those libraries. So that one's pretty exciting. Uh, the next one is really interesting, which is non nullable types. Um, so I think we've talked about this before, um, you know, <laughs> null is like the biggest cause of exceptions on the planet, right? You get, you know, null or, you know, you just null exceptions are in general, just cause like they're pretty much the root of all evil. Let's just kind of leave it at that. Um, so in TypeScript 2.0, they actually have some, some strict null checking. So if you want to sort of eliminate nulls and, and deal with them, uh, or only allow them on a case by case basis, you can do that. So that's pretty exciting. So I recommend taking a look at that. I'm not sure what that full impact is going to be yet. You know, if I can sort of retrofit a project or if it's really for new stuff. Um, let's see here. There's a read only modifier, which is handy. I always use that one in C sharp, um, to keep me from, uh, changing something out, uh, changing a value outside of the constructor. Um, yeah, so those are some of the big things, but I'll, you know, we'll have a link to the, to the blog post. There's lots of really cool stuff in there. TypeScript has really taken on a life of its own. Um, they have some numbers in here. Uh, let's see here. 2000 plus people commenting on issues, uh, 1500 plus people logging issues over 150 people contributing code. Um, and then over 200 million, um, it's funny. It says greater than two, 2 million plus. (laughs) So I think that's redundant, but NPM downloads per month. Um, so 
it's it's a big deal. And even, you know, non Microsoft, you know, people that traditionally like wouldn't use any Microsoft products are are using this because it's super useful for layering a type system into JavaScript. And actually, David, you do a lot of JavaScript, right? Actually, I'm doing now a lot of type three. Okay. Oh, so you've converted over. Yes. Yeah, um, I did the same version of Babylon JS was uh, completely developed with JavaScript. Okay. And we moved to TypeScript. Then. Okay, awesome. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah, agree. It's just wonderful. <laughs> this tool saved me so much time. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, oh, what did you add in here, Carl? I snuck something in there that I forgot to put in there. So since, before since we too. talked about the <laughs> the MIT license, yep. And actually, the you know the other thing that's related to licensing this week mm-hmm. was uh, GitHub is now displaying. Uh, if you have a license file, it's detecting that and putting it prominently um, on your repository. So when you first uh, go and look at the overview, you can see, oh, this is MIT or Apache or whatever the license that you chose. So I think that's uh, really important because some of the licenses do come with a little bit of baggage attached compared to others and might influence your decision to use them or not. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've inserted another story in here because I, I think that I think this will interest our audience, even though it's not directly a developer thing. So I'll just talk about it for like a minute or two here. So I, I got a, uh, something known as a boosted board. It's a, a motorized longboard. So I got it about two days ago. Um, these things, they, they had a V1, which I think was on Kickstarter. And then on May, they started taking pre-orders for these things. And, um, this thing is, it is so, so awesome. And it's useful if you, you know, if you have to, if you have to just go a couple miles, uh, this is a really interesting vehicle because it's a, it's a longboard and I haven't, you know, I've, I haven't really ridden a skateboard or a longboard before, but this thing is uh, pretty much the most uh, fun technology gadget that I've ever had. This thing is just an absolute blast. And whenever you come out in uh, what, November, Carl, you'll yeah, have, I'll have to, to check it out. Yeah. You'll have to try this thing out. 20 goes 22 miles an hour. The battery that came with it goes six miles. The battery that um, uh, they're going to ship in next starting next year uh, is uh, it goes like 12 to 14 miles. And uh, whenever you break on this thing, it will actually recharge the battery as well. Um, so we'll include a link to the show notes. So you can go check this out. But uh, if you order one now, like you can't, I don't even think you'd get it this year. You wouldn't get it till next year. Um, I just happened to pre-order on the first day, but holy cow, this thing, this thing is a lot of fun. So we'll have to do like a MS dev show special feature on the, uh, you'll, <laughs> on the have, you'll have to record a video with your GoPro and just put it out there. Yeah. 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 I'm not, uh, I'm not that stable on this thing yet, especially at low <laughs> speeds. It's kind of funny because, um, you know, it goes 22 miles an hour. I'm like, that's insane. But actually when you're going 22 miles an hour, uh, for the most part, you know, as long as you're on something smooth and it's not a sidewalk with cracks or anything, it's actually really stable or at least around that speed. Um, it's, I wouldn't want to fall at that speed, but it's very stable. It's whenever you're going really <laughs> slow and you're trying to turn or something like that. That's when I, I just, I have to look just terrible. So once I, once I get a little more stable on it, then I can record a video and, uh, and show everybody. But man, for like the Microsoft campus, you know, you park your car and get anywhere on campus in just a few minutes on this thing. Um, I just had to mention it just cause I've been having so much fun. Uh, okay. So that, that's it for the news, Carl. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the good stuff. What the reason why we're here. So David, what the heck is this UWP community toolkit that everybody's so excited about? Oh, um, so the UWP community toolkit, um, it's a name I, uh, I struggle to pronounce. <laughs> it's a bit too long for a French guy. Yeah. Um, so this toolkit, um, uh, was started, um, we started working on it, uh, four, uh, five months ago. Okay. And basically the idea was, uh, we need to, um, 
We need two things, actually. We need first to connect, to reconnect with the community. I'm working in the Windows WDG, so Windows and Devices Group. And clearly, the idea was to connect with the AWP developer, so the guys that develop for Windows 10 on every devices, from IoT to Xbox, <coughs> or mobile or desktop, or HoloLens, mm -hmm. uh, or even Surface Hub. <laughs> so any kind of uh, developer uh, that wants to develop on these devices. And the idea was to connect with them and clearly to build a project with them from the very beginning. Uh, I am, I'm coming from the, from a JavaScript world where open source is really the, uh, the boss. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to do a project, most of the time it's going to be in a way, uh, open sourced. Uh, so when I joined uh, Windows, I tried to convince uh, management and people that it should be a good idea to work with the community because at the very end of the day, they are who They are the guys who are connected with the end user. They are the guys who develop the real product using our technology. So they yeah. know what they need. Yeah. Uh, so that's the, 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 the reason why we started the toolkit. Working with the, the community on helpers, on services, on things that can ease, that can simplify how you can create a UWP application. Mm -hmm. That's the UWP community toolkit. Okay. And, and who's helped out with that so far? So at the beginning, we uh, connected with uh, our very own MVPs. Uh, so I can give you some names like uh, Morten Nielsen, Scott Lovegrove. They are mostly uh, pretty well-known um, developers on the community. Uh, we also work with Rudy Yoon, with Laurent Bunion to try to, uh, and they're French, so that's easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> or they speak French, at least for Laurent. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the idea was, okay, guys, we need to capture what is missing today or what can we do for developers to help them create great applications faster than before. So they helped us. Uh, today, we have, and I can give you the really last numbers, we have 41 contributors on the project. So the project is on GitHub. We are under MIT license. Okay. <laughs> now, no, <laughs> Which I now understand. That's what it means, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so we have 41 contributors. But I have to be honest here. Um, since the V1, I was, I am humbled by the feedback we get. The toolkit was shipped one month ago. Mm -hmm. It was um, mid-August. And since then, we already have almost 1,000 commits. Wow. This wow. Incredible. I spend all my time validating <laughs> and discussing issues. It's like, oh man, uh, it was not that, it was not expected. Uh, there is a fun meme on the internet that escalated quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so 41 contributors. Um, among these contributors, we have five, six Microsofties. Anyone else? is from the community. Okay, wow, that's great. The very first version of Kit was like 80% done by Microsoft, 20% by the community. The new V1.1 that will we'll ship um, in uh, October, begin early October, is something like 40% Microsoft, 60% community. So it's a tremendous feedback. I, I'm really humbled about that. That's over what I was uh, dreaming. Okay, that's very cool. Yep. Uh, so in a different, in a previous episode of the MS Dev Show, we had the authors of the notification toolkit on and Andrew, uh, uh, yep. yeah, Andrew Barris and, and Andrew Barris. Uh, I was gonna say yeah. and was and Heidinger, yeah, Matt, Matt, right? Yep, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that was a while ago. It was a <laughs> it was about like, a year ago. Yeah, that was about a year ago. That's a, that's like ancient history now. Um, so it looks like this covers notification stuff too. So it is what is what's the deal with that? Is that overlap? Is that replacement? It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> we convinced them that as a company, yeah. we should provide for UWP at least yeah. a simple pla- a single place and stop proliferation of uh, various GitHub. Repos. We should provide if it's about helping developer to create a UWP application, mm-hmm. which is the what we want for the toolkit. Yeah. Then it should be in the toolkit. Okay. And Andrew was really responsive about this. He told us, "Yeah, definitely yes." Because when you ship a product as Microsoft, you have to follow a um, certain amount of uh, rules regarding quality, accessibility, uh, uh, and security. Mm-hmm. And if we have only one repo, we go through this process only once. Yep. If you have multiple repo, so as a developer in Microsoft, that's a better idea for us to just merge our effort. And this is what we did with uh, Andrew and the uh, notification team. So what you found before in the notification extension will be now in the notification section of the toolkit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's also notification libraries in there for .NET Standard, Portable, WinRT. Um, so yeah, how, yeah, I know it could be weird. But actually, it's UWP <laughs> toolkit, and this toolkit is to allow developers. Oh, we lost you, David. I'll see if he comes back. Mm-hmm. Oh, here I'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> that way, I can see it in the video. <laughs> Either that, or I'll forget, and then it'll just look really stupid. Is it redialing him? It looks like it is. Doot, doot, doot. Yeah, yeah. So he's recording his own track, but we're not going to use it anyway. So hey, hey, there you go. I'm so sorry, my connection just dropped off, and it's not via Wi-Fi. I don't know what happened. Yeah, the, hey. the network there gets congested during the day. Can you t- start your video again? Yes. Um, <laughs> do you want me to? Um, yeah, I, just we, start we, that we, answer. Yeah, over we again. lost you at. It's a little weird. So. Uh, so where I was? Sorry, a little weird. Uh, so I was talking. We oh, are yes, yes. .NET so. standard, portable, RT, and UWP. Yeah. So. Clap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's a little bit weird. I agree. So everything in UWP, and the, the idea is if you want to use a UWP uh, feature, you have to be inside a UWP application, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For notification, it's a little bit different because notification, you can uh, ask to um, trigger a notification from ASP.NET, from WinForms. There is no limitation about this. That's why for the specific case of the notification, we provided a way to trigger UWP notification, but from Various sources. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about this specific one. Uh, why? <laughs> it is. Because you can. Because you can, yeah. So why just preventing people to use notification if they don't want to, if they are in Windows Forms? Yep, makes sense. So, like, the next area that I saw when I was looking over this toolkit that I thought was really useful was animations, because animations is one of those things that once you get into your app, just a, a right animation in the right spot can really make it seem professional. So how, how can I use animations with this toolkit? I can't agree more. Um, I'm a application developer and I'm not designer. So most of the time my application looks really like shit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start adding There goes our clean rating. <laughs> yeah, and you start adding animation and magic happens. And I completely agree with you. That's why we really wanted to help developers add animation 
without the burden of thinking about all the code that you may need for animations. So right now we have a fluid API for the animation, and that's one of my favorite part of the toolkit. So let's let's take an example here. I have a button, and when I click on this button, I want to, for instance, move a panel from the left to the right while changing the opacity. So you know, like you click yeah. on the button and the message appears. Mm -hmm. To do that, you have actually three, uh, two ways to do that. The first one is you want to use storyboard and animating an uh, XAML and you create double animation. It, that's a little bit, uh, that works, no problem. Yep. But it could be hard to write and to read. You can also use composition. Composition is extremely powerful, but you, it's, um, it requires more code. That's what I want to say. With the toolkit, what you want to write is panel dot offset and the value of the offset that you want dot opacity dot uh, no, fade sorry dot start async ah uh, this reminds me of uh, like jquery mm -hmm. actually yes it's what i'm calling a fluid api you can yeah. merge animation by just calling dot 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 that this way and you have start async at the end so you can await for it or not depending on what you want you can get an event but it's like one line of code to move translate rotate scale apply blur we provide everything in just one line of code i love that that's the way it should be man <laughs> I agree. Everything should be just one line of code. Yeah, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about that. We 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 had some examples of animation in different languages, and some of them were just it's just ridiculous. Like I I don't I don't want to write animations that way. Like you should expose you know at some level you, you know and I'm you know you can still do this is kind of get in there and and like you said use composition or the 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 uh, double animations, but um, yeah that fluent interface like that that's. That's, oh, where yeah. every, that's how everybody wants to start for the most Trying part. Trying it is buying it. Once yeah. you try it, you want to use it everywhere. Yep, absolutely. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics' Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. The underpinnings the of MS these animations, are they using composition APIs by any chance? About the UW are they using both? If composition is not available, we just uh, fall back to storyboard. TypeScript if 2. composition is available, we are this using show is late because Jason was There is just one exception board. for this stuff. It's the, the blur. The blur is all, only available on um, anniversary update. So if you call blur, it will do nothing if you are using uh, something before anniversary update. There is no crash or whatever, just mm -hmm. no effect. And if you are using, uh, if your application is running on a anniversary update machine, then it's going to work. We also provide, obviously, a Boolean to check if Blur is supported or not. So as a developer, okay. I can check. I don't want to call Blur if it's not supported. You can still call it, but it will do nothing. Just, just a no-op, yeah. So um, the other thing that I was wondering if you could uh, explain a little bit too is, you know, I mentioned composition APIs, but can you uh, define what they are and explain why they're, they're important in animation? 
Yep. So in animation, um, the first way of thinking about it in XAML is clearly a storyboard, which is there since the very first WPF. <coughs> the problem with um, storyboard animation is that if you want to animate a lot of stuff, it could quickly become slow. Okay. A composition is a way to clearly to directly communicate with the composition layer, which is inside XAML. So you have XAML on top, then you have the composition layer responsible for building the visual tree and dispatching everything to DirectX. The composition API is a new way for you to clear to talk not to the XAML layer, but to uh, the composition layer. So obviously, it's a little bit harder because you are talking to a lower level API, but it's obviously really faster. You can easily sustain 60 frames per second and animating 10,000 things on the screen if you are talking to the composition API. Cool. The trade-off uh, is more code. And with the toolkit, <laughs> we remove this trade-off. Okay. Isn't that fun? wonderful? Uh, yeah, I, I love uh, getting my cake and being able to eat it. Absolutely. And like not paying it. Absolutely. I like I like it when my cake blurs as well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if if there's uh, if there's an effect that um, you know is not already in there, how is it, is it a good example of how I actually do that? Sure. Sure. Okay. So we ship the first version of the toolkit with uh, offset, scale, rotation, and blur. Okay. And someone recently added uh, drop shadows. Okay. So that makes sense. So if I if I do that, I should just issue a pull request. Absolutely right. I do a pull request. Short version. And because it's open source, actually, if you're a developer and you know what composition means and mm -hmm. you want to provide something in this space, it's extremely easy to just copy past what we did, for instance, for blur and provide the same for drop shadows. We think about uh, an effect uh, for heights um, and glass and things like that. You just use composition. You provide the code required, and that's that's it. Okay. And then in the animation project, there's something called behaviors. What what are behaviors? <laughs> yeah. The, um, so I I'm not uh, the guy who wrote the uh, composition part. It was done mostly by Nikola Metuev in my team and uh, Shen Shuan. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are blend uh, users. So I am a Visual Studio user only, and I'm not a designer. So I, I create my XAML just by typing XAML. If you are a designer or if you are a developer who has some skills with uh, design, you may want to use Blend instead of Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. And in Blend, they have this concept of behavior. A behavior is clearly a say, behavior that you apply on XAML object. For instance, a behavior could be on this specific XAML object, let's say a button, I apply a behavior which could be when my mouse uh, enters the control, I want to change a cursor. That's a behavior. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is something uh, to do when a condition is, uh, is applied. And we provided the same thing for uh, our animation. So instead of typing my control.blur or dot .rotate or whatever, you can then use purely XAML code. So inside, inside Blend, or even inside Visual Studio, you can select your object and say, I want to apply a blur or a rotate or a scale behavior on this specific object. Okay. So blur, um, to me, behavior is clearly uh, no C-sharp code, purely XAML. And that's why we provide both. Depending on how you like it, you can have both. Okay, very cool. So another piece of the toolkit that's actually pretty extensive is the control section. Yep. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, by default, the SDK, Windows 10 SDK, provide a lot of controls, um, but some of them were missing. Mm -hmm. uh, so we try to 
capture what the community wanted specifically in this area, we ended we ended up with uh, I guess nine controls. V11 will have uh, I guess 12 controls. Okay. So one of the most used is clearly the hamburger menu. If you know how to create example UWP application, you know that there is a split view control in the in the basic SDK. But for most of the developer, they don't want to hijack this one and add the button and the behavior they want. They just want to drag and drop a hamburger control. So this is what we provided. We built on top of stock controls and we provided hamburger menu. We provided uh, uh, tiles. We provided, I would say, a range selector. We provided a gauge. This kind of control, which are missing today that you may want to use in your application. Okay. Okay, so normally, like you mentioned before, when Microsoft creates a control, they do a lot of different things like around security, accessibility, making sure left-to-right and right-to-left languages all work. Can we expect that same level of support out of these controls? I want to be honest with you, no. And mostly because uh, we want to uh, ship at a fast pace. Mm -hmm. So let's think about V11, V10, sorry. We didn't ship any control with uh, accessibility support. We know and we knew at that time uh, that it's a mandatory feature. But because we are shipping it fast, we decided that, okay, first version will ship the control. V11, we had uh, accessibility. V12, we can check uh, if uh, right to left works. Yeah. It's so it's, it's either like, don't ship it, ship it without that and add it later is, is kind of the decision you made. Yes. Okay. The decision we want to go, we are going through a complete testing process regarding the feature itself. So it should work okay. in a general way. But then uh, for additional feature work like accessibility and right to left, I have these two in mind, actually. Um, we know we, are, we need it, uh, so we ship it in a, in a following version. And I don't want to block contributors, external contributors, to ship something because I know that it could be a little bit tough to add accessibility or localization or this kind of stuff. So we flag controls. We know that they are not complete yet, mm -hmm. and then we add what? what is required. And if you look, for instance, at the pull request we did like uh, last week, it's all about adding accessibility to controls. Okay, cool. And then you had mentioned the hamburger menu, but are there any other, what are the other like useful controls in there that you okay, like? Okay, let me open my list. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I am talking about one one. So I give you all the control that uh, we will be available uh, early October. Okay. Uh, so we have the adaptive grid view. This one is really useful and I use it on all my applications. It's a grid view, but with all the burden of thinking about responsive removed for you. So you put your adaptive grid view and you just define, okay, I want this width and this is, sorry, I want this eight for my items and the width should be this one. But based on the size available, the control can decide to reduce the width so you don't have to do anything about okay. it. And it works then well like on your uh, Surface Hub and on your uh, mobile. Mm -hmm. We have a blade control. This one is really interesting. You perhaps you know the uh, new portal for Azure. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. have a blade. You know, you click on a button and a new blade, a new panel open on the right, and yep. etc. Et et we have the same here available for you in your UWP app. We also provide a really highly demanded control, which is the grid splitter. You can have a grid. And now you can put the grid splitter to manually, uh, sorry, yes, manually change the size of uh, every of your cell. Uh, we have the hamburger menu. We have a image extended control that support caching and offline and placeholder. We also have the pool to refresh list view. You know, on your mobile, when you 
pull to refresh a list. Mm -hmm. That's something that you, we provide for you. We have a, a radial gauge. We have a range selector. This one is funny. In the tool, in the SDK, you can specify a value using a slider, but you cannot specify a range with two sliders. So we provide it for you. Okay. We have tile and we have, uh, uh, the number one in the heart of the users, which is the slidable list item. If you look at Outlook on your mobile, you can slide on the left to do something oh, and yep. slide on the right to do something else. Yep. And that's something now you can just add in your own application. It's basically here. Perfect. That's all the control we will provide for one. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a, a another section that you have, the helper section. And I, I will say that there's some stuff in there that I've written dozens of times, like the color helper. I, I know I've written that at least five or six times. Sure. Um, so I can see where these are going to be really useful. But one of them that I've noticed, um, not really familiar with this concept. I, uh, I was wondering if you could explain what a weak sure. event listener is. Sure. So regarding the helpers, at the very beginning, I was like you, and I wanted to call them not helpers, but the things I code dozen times. But they, yeah. it's too long, so we call it just helpers. Uh, so, in the helpers, we have helpers for string manipulation, for stream manipulation, etc. We have the color helper, as you mentioned, and we have this weak listener event. The weak listener is probably here to help you fixing one of the more important memory leaks you can find in your application. If you are just using regular event, so let's say you have a page in XAML, you, man you navigate to this page, and you add a uh, on-click event on a button, okay? And then you leave this page. The event, the event is still here because the garbage collector cannot collect it because the code inside your um, event could be tied to something outside the page. Yeah. Like you have a view model somewhere and this view model reference a model and this model is still alive and yeah. you, you connected your event to the click button to this event, to this model. So the garbage collector, collector cannot collect it because there is a link. Okay. And that's because of the event. The event keep everyone alive. The weak listener event is an event which is weak, meaning that the garbage collector can collect it even if it's here. Okay. So you leave your page, boom, garbage collectors know that it can collect everything. And this will save you a lot of memory leaks. Okay. I like it's that. Also, it's also one of those subtle things that you you might not realize that yeah. the, that there's that reference hanging along and that's why. Yeah, like new, new developers have, have no idea that that's oh. happening. Actually, even <laughs> developer, uh, I did that for my uh, Magic the Gathering application. I'm displaying, I think it's 20,000 image and all of them as a click. <laughs> so just by leaving the page twice, you have no more memory. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, so there's also a services class in there that has like, you know, there's like Facebook, yep. Twitter, LinkedIn. Like wh what, what are those? That's a, to me, it's an important one because it's all about connecting your application to the real world. Uh, the idea was in my application, I want to share something on my Facebook wall or on my Twitter feed. Um, let's say, uh, sorry, I take this example once again, but in my other gatherer application, the Magic the Gathering application, once I finally managed to get a card, I'm pretty proud of it and I want to say it to everyone. So I want to share the fact that I have this card. So I did a Facebook um, tool to share, and Facebook changed the API 10,000 times in the, <laughs> the meantime. My application was not working. I, that, that drove me crazy. For Twitter, it was like 
nothing was really available for C-sharp developers, so you have to deal with OAuth, you have to deal with uh, segmenting your HTTP uh, requests to send pictures. It's not easy to do. So the services in the toolkit is clearly the one-line motto once again. You want to, sh to share on Facebook, it's one line of code now. You want to share on Twitter, it's one line of code now. You want to capture and get your uh, Facebook wall, one line of code. You want to do a search on Bing, one line of code. So, so far, we have Bing, Facebook, and Twitter. So for Facebook and Twitter, it is read and write. For Bing, obviously, it's just read. Uh, and the community gave us two really cool new stuff. The first one is Microsoft Graph. So you can connect to your uh, Microsoft Graph uh, like Outlook, Word, Excel online. You can read your mail. You can send a mail. One line of code every time. That's, think about that. Sending a mail with just one line of code without having to set up a SMTP somewhere, just using Microsoft Graph. Yeah. And we also, and because, you know, we just acquired LinkedIn. We consider it was important to also provide a read and write provider for LinkedIn. So you can read your LinkedIn wall or publish something on LinkedIn. Like, yeah, I finally managed to get this card and you can share that on your professional network. Oh, I could have, I could have used that. <laughs> I could have used that for a project recently. I might have to take a look at that. Yep. So cool. yeah, another thing that I find is really timely is I noticed that there's RSS parsers in here and <laughs> yes. I'm actually working on an app that's doing some RSS parsing. <laughs> so we provided that for you. <laughs> yeah, so the Carl I'll actually RSS be, parser. So I'll be able to actually remove a lot of lines of code with this. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly the goal that we want yeah. to achieve. Remove code from your library, yeah. from your application. Cool. So this is all available. It, well, I should say, is this available via NuGet? Yep. yep. Okay. So oh, I guess one of my big uh, question is, is like, um, the features in here, we've, we've talked to, it was like Mads Christ Christensen. Like this really reminds me of that where he's like doing all this cool stuff. And eventually like some of it makes it into the, the product itself. I, you know, I think Carl has a better understanding of what this project is all yep. about, but like, are, are some of these things going to make their way into the, into the product itself? It's possible. Let, let's be honest. It's possible. And for us, it's also a good way to measure what people want. Yeah. Uh, and if uh, a lot of people want the hamburger menu, at some point in time, we just move it into the core SDK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's completely... And now I'm dreaming of a world where there is no need for the toolkit mm -hmm. because everything actually is available in the SDK. That's that's a dream for at least one good reason. Um, the SDK has a different pace. We can ship every month. So if yeah. Facebook change their mind like every two weeks, they can. we can just react fast enough to ensure that developers will always have the right version for SDK. That's a little bit tougher. Yeah. This really, Carl reminds me of mad Christensen's program or his, his, uh, the stuff that he does. Cause it's sort of for a, the web toolkit. Yeah. The web toolkit. I was trying to think mm. of the name cause he, you know, it's sort of an area for to, to get, you know, feedback and stuff like that. And people right. can use this stuff today. And then it, it, you know, once, if, if everybody is using something in there or it, 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 it sort of passes the muster, then it, right. it makes its way into the product. So, um, this, this sort of feels like the same thing to me, yep. which is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, it's really a goal for us to be sure that we put what people want into SDK. So yeah, it's some kind of preview version. I yeah. Like <laughs> okay. So is this all one giant NuGet or can I pull in pieces somehow? No, no, no. We don't want you to be forced to uh, download the service if you just want to use the color helper, for instance. So we split actually the project into five different uh, okay. projects. Okay. There is the, the root one, which is uwb.toolkit, which contains mostly helpers for other uh, parts of the project. But the, the main one are services, animations, controls, notifications. Okay. So... 
Is there a, a roadmap of stuff that you're planning to get in here? Or are you just taking kind of features in as people are willing to, uh, you know, commit code? Oh, we have both. We define with the core team, mostly composed of uh, MVP's guy, what we would love to have in the next and the next and the next versions. Uh, and we create for that on the GitHub itself uh, milestones. So you can go to the GitHub, and if you go to issues, you will see that we have milestone. We have V1 and V2. If you click on V2, you can see that we already think about, for instance, adding a OneDrive service. Uh, we also think about adding a ticker control, a carousel using composition. That's part of what we would like to have. But because it's a community project and completely open, um, we were not expecting to have the blade control, for instance. But one morning, I checked my mail and I saw that someone gave you for free this uh, blade control. Really cool. Let's the, go. The blade fairy came by. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's part of surprise, thanks to the community. And we try to also ensure that the most wanted are in the list. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, you know, do you, do you accept just about any kind of feature or like what is no. the bar? What are the criteria for, for actually allowing it in there? That's the part of my job that I hate, <laughs> definitely. Because sometimes the, the, the process should be the following one. If you have an idea and you want to contribute, you should start an issue on GitHub and say, hey, guys, I have this wonderful control that helps you manage uh, something. Yep. Then community and uh, Microsoft is respond, oh, that's so cool, I need it. Or, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. Are you sure we want to use it? And yeah. then we can discuss and at the very end define, okay, let's go, we'll do it or no. Okay. But sometimes people are just, they don't know they have to do that and they just contribute and send us a pull request. Okay. So and kind of, pull it request sounds... is about a niche feature and the, the toolkit has to be useful for everyone. I was going to say, so the, it sounds like the criteria for the most part is that it has to have, the feature has to have wide applicability. Yes. We cannot blow, I don't want to have it bloated with a lot of features like can be useful for one or two people, but most of the people just don't understand why it's. Yeah. So I have some, some time to say, I'm sorry you did all the work, but that does not work with the toolkit. Yeah. And that's sad because be tough, I know yeah. that that guys are just immensely motivated to help others, right. but the toolkit is not the right vehicle here. Very cool. Yeah, it seems like this is just something that some everybody who's doing UWP needs to look at this thing, figure out what they want to bring in. It's very cool. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we covered in regards to the toolkit? Uh, um, I only have one ask. Okay. So far, based or due to the the success of the toolkit, we <laughs> are struggling a little bit to uh, validate pull requests and respond and reply to issues in a timely fashion. So. If you think you're good, uh, you are a good UWP developer and you want to help us maintain the toolkit, please send me an email. Okay. Very cool. I, yeah, I'm looking for volunteers. I was going to say, how, how do they send you an email? Are you going to uh, tell us your email? Oh, you obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so my email is davca at microsoft.com. Okay. And you can also find me on Twitter uh, at deltacosh. Okay. Perfect. We'll obviously have, we'll put those in the show notes, probably sure. not your email, but we'll have, at least have your Twitter and then somebody can reach out through that. Yep. No problem. Please use Twitter. That's perfect. Okay. Very cool. Carl, what do you have for a dev tip of the week? So I have another Microsoft GitHub account as a dev tip away of the week. It's the okay. Windows Universal Samples 
which somebody will have noticed that we've made that the tip of the week before. However, <laughs> uh, the little twist is you, these are constantly being updated. So they have been updated for the anniversary update. Ah. And I actually ran into some interesting uh, – uh, I was searching for some documentation because I'm working on a UWP app. And the documentation at the very top in a block said, this documentation is out of date go see the example at this GitHub account. So I'm finding it interesting that as uh, as we're moving along here, these GitHub accounts are actually, uh, in some cases, better documentation than the documentation on the MSDN. Okay. Very That's cool. Nice, but- oh, go ahead. Oh, you just say that was nice. So David, oh, yeah, it's nice, yes. yeah we, play, we play a game on this show. I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive and let me know what it is. <laughs> me? Yes. Uh, four. Four. Would you rather eat a small can of cat food or seven entire lemons, even the seeds, pulp, juice, and rind? Lemon. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's in that cat food, man. No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure it's not from this world. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, Carl, pick a number. I'll take number three. Number three. Would you rather wear a motorcycle helmet to bed every night or always sleep with shoes and jeans on? I will take the motorcycle helmet. I, I, I've got a, you know, have, have <laughs> a my thing feet. for that. <laughs> I, I've got to have. I've got to have nothing on my feet. I I can't sleep even with socks <laughs> on, even if they're cold. It's really okay. As as long as I can have the visor up, I think I'd be okay. Otherwise, <laughs> it's all foggy. In fact, in, the in fact, it would help keep things quieter. It might yeah, actually sleep better. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm, I'm going to pick the other one. I would sleep with shoes and jeans on. The shoes would bother me more. The jeans would bother me at all. Yeah, I'm fine with the jeans. Maybe, maybe if I can, like, I don't know, if I can alternate or something. Um, or how about I just don't do either one? Uh, <laughs> okay, so you already mentioned where people can find you on Twitter, and that was D E L T A K O S H, correct? D E L T A K O S H, correct. Okay, perfect. So we'll have everybody go and follow David uh, because he's doing awesome work. And where can people find you, Carl? You can f- find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>